This episode of Little Bit Leave It is brought to you by the Miranda Lambert Family Jamboree, streaming exclusively on Miranda, where you have the right to remain entertained. Previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hey everybody, welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island UK in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me, as always, my podcasting partner and partner in life, Rebecca. Do you think there's a podcast that brings Love Island USA to the UK? I don't know. If so, we should do an exchange program with them, I think. Yeah, we can talk about the different words for sneakers. What do they call? Trainers. Yeah, they call them trainers. And even in the United States, you know, some people call them tennis shoes, certainly in the Midwest. Yeah, well, nobody cares about the Midwest. Hey. Except the Midwest. Hey, both of my parents, all my family born in the Midwest. In any event, I was thinking the same thing about an exchange program in terms of uh, I joined this Reddit group, Ask UK, and... I thought it was going to be a place where you can ask people questions about the United Kingdom, but that's not actually what it is. It's not like ask men or ask women, right? It's people in the UK just asking questions. But I read a couple of the threads and some of the misperceptions about the United States are hilarious. We all drive trucks. We all have guns. We're all fat. Yeehaw. Not even so much that. Oh, the red solo cups. What's all, the red all, solo cups? Well, they're in every high school movie. So obviously we all drink out of red solo cups all the time. Oh, I was struck by actually these pseudo intellectuals who were talking about how in the United States, everything is captured by the corporate state, which is not wrong. Yeah, not wrong. But it's also not the explanation for why it sucks so bad. No, just the things that they were trying to explain at the time. Yeah. But they also had misunderstandings of American land use, you know, which is one of my specialties. Yeah, that goes on your other podcast. What other podcast? I don't know. Sexy land use time. Slut. (laughs) Exactly. It's a late night show with all of these sexy, sexy ordinances about local land zoning laws. I am not sure what to say to that. So today we are going to talk about. The 18th episode of the sixth season of Love Island UK. And we are going to go into a deep dive on what? What are we going to talk about today? You know, it started as information about the Geordies, Uh which is people from Newcastle. Not all people from Newcastle, but the Geordies are centered in Newcastle. And it kind of meandered away, but it does come back. I don't know. If you've ever been interested in in royal history, like I am not, you might find this interesting. I found it interesting, and I am not into royalty, I'm not into religion, and yet here I am. So what specifically, though, about the royal family, what period are we covering? We are going to talk about the late 17th century into the early 18th century. We're going to talk about the House of Stuart and the House of Hanover. Oh, so that's a pretty messy time. Yeah. No beheadings, though, unfortunately. And then how that morphed into the term Geordie. 
Okay. You know, it's one of those things where like I found a quick explanation, but didn't quite understand it. So I Googled one thing in it and then I was like, okay, but now there's one thing in this I don't understand. And so it became this whole spider web of royal fuckery. And it's actually interesting. It just doesn't have much to do with Geordies. The Geordies are the end result, but it's about the journey, not the destination. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Let's talk about the episode first. Though, yeah. Let's talk about the episode. And this one begins with a double conversation. This happens a couple times during this episode. It's a great device. I really like when they use it. And I think they use it very well in both occasions. And this first time we've got Luke M pulling Mike. And that's set against a conversation between Jess, Sophie, and Rebecca. Where do you want to start? Let's talk about Jess. Jess did not look thrilled to be picked by Luke M. Jess wants to fancy Luke M, but I think it's becoming more and more clear that she doesn't. Well, she comes out and says it. She says she does not fancy Luke M. She likes him. Right. And so she fancies Mike, but she doesn't like him. Right. Because Mike is a skis. Mike is a very, very good looking skis. And Luke M is a very, very good looking, boring music boy, which they have not brought up ever again. Yeah. Maybe that could have been used to give him a personality, but instead it's just been dropped. Yeah. It would be good if they had musical instruments around the villa and people could just play them. I think that would really add a huge dimension to the show. They don't have to broadcast it if it sucks, right? But if anybody is any good, it might actually be kind of cool. Well, they do that for the, some of the talent shows. Remember Jamie Jewett plays guitar? Didn't somebody play keyboards once? Yeah. So they have access. I doubt that was Jamie's guitar. Would they have let him even bring it in? I don't know. But you would think that an acoustic guitar laying around would help create a relaxed vibe during the day and maybe get some more things going on so the day is not just waiting for the night. Or waiting for a text. Yeah. So anyway, Luke M is pulling Mike. Everyone cringes. Yeah, and this is a crazy conversation. Mike is lying to Luke M. He is like straight out gaslighting him. Oh, yeah. He totally turns it all around and says that he's the victim of Luke M when Mike is clearly the one who has been going behind Luke's back. Well, and- right in front of his face. He definitely pulled Jess multiple times. I don't know why he's lying about that. He's telling Luke M to just sit back. Let me hit on her. And if you're not insecure, just see what happens. That is so shitty. Yeah, no, Mike is pissed off at Luke for some reason, obviously, because he can't get what he wants right away. Luke sees right through him, though. I have to give Luke some credit. He is not at all intimidated or tricked. Luke M sees right through him. Yeah, Luke M almost has a personality in this segment of the season. But only only when he's set against Mike. Right. You know, Mike is his foil and that gives him his whole personality. Do you think Mike was using some cop tricks when he was having this conversation? A little bit. Yeah. It seemed like he was, you know, trying to get someone to confess or it felt like cop trickery. Mike is definitely very two-faced. And he also tries to intimidate Luke M and tells him that he is going to lose. Yeah. F that guy. And then Mike turns around and tells Jess... That Luke is threatened by him. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Should we talk about Shauna? I think we should. So first of all, I just want to mention that when Shauna is telling Paige about Mike's deceit, Shauna has chocolate tucked in her jacket. And so for all the complaining I've done about Shauna, 
there are still reasons I identify with her. And I would definitely have chocolate tucked in my jacket. But more importantly, Sophie and Shauna are still trying to talk things through. Yeah, Shauna apologizes to Sophie again. but And plays the victim. Yeah, and at the same time, she's dissing Callum and saying that Callum was really aggressive with her, right? Yeah, I mean, she is becoming more self-aware. Like she says in the beach hut, she realized that while she might not have been wrong, it was the wrong time to say it. She understands why Sophie's upset. She understands why Callum's upset and that she needs to do a better job of being a person. And I appreciated that. Yeah. But I want to know, why is Callum so insistent on making Sophie comfortable? Callum is so single-mindedly focused on Sophie's emotions. I understand why Shauna's getting a little peeved. No, you sound like Shauna. I understand why she's getting a little peeved because this conversation that they have really takes Callum into the hot seat. It really puts Callum in a more negative light where I was kind of agreeing with him. He just seems really intent on making Shauna feel shitty. I don't know. I disagree. In this conversation... I don't think Callum is putting Sophie's feelings before her ever. I don't think that at all. I think that she has twisted around that entire conversation. And I don't think Shauna really believes it either, honestly. And they make up pretty easily. All good in the hood. Well, he doesn't want to argue and she gets what she wants. I'd like to think that she becomes a better person because of it. I mean, she's just, she's going through the motions. Yeah. So it's bedtime. And the guys pick up Nas and throw him around to celebrate his first kiss with Demi. Woohoo! Oh yeah, I was going to save that for spoils because it goes with our dressing room discussion from spoils the other day. Oh yeah, that's true. And how a lot of the best guy-on-guy moments also happen in the dressing room. Guy-on-guy moments. Oh man. Everybody goes to sleep. There's some schnoogling and some canoodling. Some canoodling. And then... It's the next morning. Uh, and Mike wakes up with his nasty tricks. I think at bedtime, too. At bedtime, he waited for Luke M to not be there. He ran over to Jess, gave her a hug. As soon as Jess gets up and Luke M walks out, Mike runs over her again. And he's like, oh, he's gone. Quick. Like, in front of everybody, making this a whole big deal, making Luke M look like an idiot. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. He is Muggy Mike. He is Muggy Mike. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Let's talk about another muggy mug. Another muggy mug. A lady mug. A, a mugette. Who is your mugette? The worst Rebecca. So Wallace, who has made himself, I guess, more interesting this go round, if only because of his diluting juice and his 20 eggs, he makes breakfast for Rebecca, who very clearly does not deserve it because she's the worst. And okay, maybe he should have asked her what she wanted, but... He made a nice looking breakfast. It didn't look poisonous like some of the food that these people make. And she doesn't like avocado and she absolutely will not eat it. Yeah, she is very pissed off at him about it. It's not as if she said, oh, thank you for making me breakfast. I don't like this, though. I just want you to know. And But thanks for the effort. She doesn't do that. No, Jess calls her out on that later. Yeah, she's all just... Screw you, Wallace, for making me avocado toast. What do you think I am? Some kind of millennial? She's like a Piers Morgan conservative, probably. But at the same time, Nas is making breakfast for Demi. And they chit-chat about how a challenge about sex positions made them closer. And Nas says, did you expect it not to? 
you know, they're happy, they're cute. And then he calls her, you little cutie. And I almost yacked. Nas, you're getting cringy again. Come on, Nas, you were, you had it. You were there. Yeah, you were so positive on Nas when we recorded March Madness. I still don't hate him, but he's cringy again. He's grown. He's gotten better. Sophie has been helping him. So yeah, so let's go back to Rebecca now, because now she comes out and shouts across the villa in front of everyone that she didn't like the breakfast. That's when I think it went from she made a mistake to she is the worst, biggest asshole. And in episode 16, I said that, you know, I don't like her, but she didn't deserve boogers in her breakfast. But you know what? Now she does. I hope there were a bunch of juicy green goblins in there. Wow. F that girl. Wow. So we're not the only ones who think she's the worst because Wallace and Luke T and the husk of Luke M have a conversation about how she's the worst, how she's hot and fun and empty. Those are my words, not theirs. They were much more generous than I was. Were they? Yeah. And Wallace says, when I'm with someone, she usually talks about what I want to talk about and do what I want, does what I want to do. So I do think Wallace probably did not expect her to hold her own as a person, as most good-looking people are. They're used to people just falling at their feet and doing what they want. But Rebecca doesn't really give anything. She didn't give anything to Connor with a G, and it fell apart. She didn't give much to Luke T, and he picked somebody else. And now she's not giving much to Wallace. Has she just not found someone she clicks with, or is she just broken? Rebecca is just a mean person. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that's what the guys are saying. At first, she makes a good impression, but it's a very surface level and she doesn't actually want to have a conversation and she's kind of arrogant and stuck up. Yes. Yes, she is. Screw that. So while this conversation's going on... While this is happening, Mike pulls Jess again! Yeah, and I do want to say that Mike has been very clear about his intentions. Actually, Jess is the only one who's sending mixed messages. Unless you count the mixed messages that Mike is sending to Luke M, which are different. Jess is sending the most mixed messages. Jess is now indicting herself by entertaining Mike's nonsense. And her look and her words have gotten less and less stern the more times he pulls her. Yeah. And then we've got a a little weird scene where Shauna asks everyone their favorite month. And we'll come back to that a little bit later in Culture Shock. But the highlight of this episode is definitely... Our Oktoberfest challenge. We've got a first round where the guys are throwing beer at the girls. Luke T wet Shawnee's as much as possible. She was the wettest of all the girls. Yeah, she was really, really soaked. Round two, the girls had to throw pretzels on rods that were emanating from the guys' crotches. Dick poles. They had to throw them onto the dick poles. And Paige and Finn gave some very helpful tips. They said, you got to bend the knees and it's all in the wrist. Shanice was loving it. And then the final round, they had to roll down a long mat with a hot dog in their mouth, kind of like on top of each other sharing this hot dog and they had to keep the hot dog whole and collect as many hot dogs as they could well Shanice and Luke T did not win because Shanice got too excited to have a sausage in her mouth yeah she bit the sausage right yeah she bit the hot dog the cold uncooked hot dog just gross just gross they have different standards for food barbecue pizza so Paige and Finn win as they win everything in my heart And we get to see more of this fun, sexy dynamic between Wallace and Rebecca. I can tell you're being facetious. Yeah, she is so nasty to him. 
She is being unnecessarily mean. So is she cold or is he boring? I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I do too. For some reason, Luke M. has a need to tell Rebecca that Wallace is unhappy. Somehow he thinks this is going to be productive. Well, he, that, he is stupid. That is not a, a smart thing to do. And then, well, Wallace shouldn't have backpedaled either. Wallace should have just been like, yep, nope, sorry, it's not happening. He doesn't backpedal very much. He tries to be polite about it. Rebecca pulls Wallace and they leave it. They do. It was only a little bit to begin with, and it was better that they leave it. Yes. A little bit, leave it. She's very pouty and bleh. And now we've got another double conversation, split conversation. I don't know. What do you, there must be some name for this production technique where they have two conversations going on simultaneously. Seymour? A Seymour? Yeah. They do it like that so you can see more. Uh, I don't think it's called a Seymour. It should be. It's not a split screen, really, because they're not showing them on the screen at the same time. I didn't say anything about a split screen. They're just showing you two conversations so you can see more. But we've got Callum, Nas, and Luke T on the one hand, and then Sophie and Shauna on the other, and they are talking about Callum and Shauna. Yeah, Sophie is really pushing for Callum and Shauna to have a happy ending. Do you think Sophie and Callum have the hots for each other a little? I don't know. I think that if they were both single, that they might get together. I think it's possible. Sure. When your friend is with a guy and you kind of like him, but you're not going to get in the middle and like your friend relationship with them is more solid. Second most satisfying thing would be to help push them together to help celebrate them because either they're not about to be interested in you or you're not about to start making moves on them. So I'm wondering, given Callum's intense defense of Sophie and Sophie pushing Shauna to say that she loves him and that they're boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't know. Just wondering. There's no real answer to that. Well, Shauna does say that she can see Callum as her boyfriend and Callum says that he is exclusive with Shauna, whatever that means. Let's talk about Callum and Nas and Luke T for a second, because this was a really funny conversation. Who wears the trousers? I don't know. Who wears the trousers? Shauna wears the trousers. Shauna definitely wears the trousers and they're shouting it really loudly so that Shauna and Sophie can hear them. It's very obviously designed to be a flirtation technique and it's really cute. And Callum even says, I'm taking love advice from you two. It's a pretty funny little scene. No, no. Nas offers advice to Callum and Luke T says, you're going to go with this guy giving advice. Don't worry. We got you. And Nas goes, yeah, you're fucked. And then we've got a text. The couples must vote on who is least compatible. So cue the hand-wringing and the mumbling and the worrying. They each have to vote for two couples, which makes it even harder because everybody's leaning towards Wallace and Rebecca. But then what do you do? And we see all the couples discussing every other couple one at a time. And I have to say, watching Luke M. listen to Jess rationalize not picking Mike and Sophie is hilarious. Oh, God. She's trying to have her cake and eat it, too. I felt so bad for Luke M. I don't know how he managed to talk her into it, but there was some personality that we didn't get to see. Yeah, he actually seems to have some self-respect, which is not always evident in the edits. And meanwhile, Mike has no qualms about voting for Jess and Luke M. No, of course not. 
Of course not, because he's not a good person. But what's funny is, in actuality, he ends up not voting for Jess and Luke M, right, at the right, end. Well, he wants to keep Jess. Yeah, he ends up voting for Rebecca and Wallace and Luke T and Shanice, right? Yeah, why does he vote for Luke T and Shanice? Just maybe, I don't know, maybe to try to throw a little chaos and they're a really strong couple. And if he can get rid of a strong competitor, it's good for him, right? I was thinking like maybe he and Sophie assumed that they were going to be safe. And so to avoid picking any of the other couples, they just threw a vote that way, figuring that no one was going to actually vote them out. I don't know. I was That was more of a benign view. But if you know how Love Island works, you vote for a couple, there's a chance that they're going to be eliminated. The public is going to vote if you nominate them. That's how Love Island works. Everybody knows that at this point. So I don't yeah. buy that. And it ends up with Rebecca and Wallace leading the way with six votes, meaning every other couple named them. Well, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, especially after they broke up. And then Jess and Luke M with four votes, Mike and Sophie with three, and like we said, Luke T and Shawnee's with that one vote. And that is the end of the episode. The public is going to decide the bottom two couples and those couples are going to get broken up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to lose two Islanders on the next episode. Very, very exciting. Well, I won't be sorry to see Rebecca go. I won't be sorry to see Wallace go. I won't be sorry to see Sophie go. And I won't be sorry to see Mike go. So it's a win, 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 win. I like it. Win, 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 win. I would be most sad if Rebecca stayed. Although she does give us lots of fuel to talk about, so in that sense, it would be a true loss. That is true. Wallace is the least interesting of those four, so he could go, and I don't think anyone would even notice. I think they would be like, Wallace who? So let's get into our deep dive, but first... A word from our sponsor. I think this one's pre-recorded. Now streaming exclusively on Miranda, your home for all Miranda-related content, it's the Miranda Lambert Family Jamboree. Miranda Lambert sings all of your favorites with her friends. Performing live in Birmingham, Alabama with Miranda Lambert, it's Franz Ferdinand with Heather Graham, Bananarama and Sam I Am, Santana featuring Ram Jam, Duran Duran with your mom's friend Pam, and a hologram of Wham. It's available now. And it's only available on Miranda, where you have the right to remain entertained. Little Bit Leave It is an independent listener-supported podcast. And you can support us by subscribing at patreon.com slash littlebitleaveit. For just $2 a month, you'll get bonus content with every single episode of Little Bit Leave It, that's right, it's our after show, Spoils of Love. You'll also get to download episodes two days before everybody else. I don't know if that's a treat or a punishment, though. But for $5 a month, here's a big treat. You get access to the Discord server, and you can talk to me and Ben and our one patron about Love Island or really anything you choose. Oh God, please sign on. It's so boring. You also get access to our super duper awesome bonus episodes like our Caroline Flack retrospective and our March Madness tournament. You've got hotties versus hustlers. You've got London versus Essex. Who's the number one Love Islander? Only true Brits know. 
That's right. Go to patreon.com slash little bit leave it. All right. Are we ready to dive deep? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so like I said, today's deep dive is a little bit of a hot mess. I originally started out to research the term Geordie, which refers to people from the Tyneside area of Northeast England, which is basically Newcastle upon Tyne, the Tyne River, and the surrounding areas. And there are debates on how far out it goes. Not everybody from that area is a Geordie. So like anything else, like any other demonym, you know, it's dependent on whose point of view. And they do have a very distinctive accent, right? Yes, they do. It comes from a number of different tribes settling in that area. The Anglos and the Saxons were dominant over the native Britons. There's some Viking in there. And all of those different groups kind of came together to form its own language, really. All of those different groups had their own old English and they couldn't really understand each other. Interesting. Not as interesting as what I'm about to lay on you. Okay. I hope. So you're going to tell us how the Geordies got their name? Sort of. The long way. Okay. The short answer is that Geordie definitely came from the name George. And there are two streams of thought for why. And they're not mutually exclusive. It can be both. And it probably is both to some extent. Have you ever heard of William of Orange? Yeah, of course I have. Okay. William of Orange was the sovereign prince of Orange and a stadtholder in the Netherlands. A what? Like a landowner. Oh, okay. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. He fought many battles against the Catholic king of France, Louis XIV. He was actually called the champion of Protestantism. You know, England had a big thing about the Catholics, which is why Ireland doesn't like them all that much. Yeah, they didn't like the Catholics. They did not like the Catholics. So William of Orange was the son of William II, who was also Prince of Orange, and Mary I. He was the grandson of Charles I via Mary I, his daughter. Fun fact, William II was 15 and Mary I was 9 when they married in 1641. Interesting. Yes. William II died a week before William III's or William of Orange's birth. So William of Orange... Married his 15-year-old cousin Mary in 1677. Okay. This is Mary II now. William III, Mary II. And they are king and queen. No, 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 no. Now William is just out and about, you know, slaying Catholics and Mary's a teenager and they get married. Okay. Under the reign of his uncle, Charles II. Okay. Charles II is king of England. Yes. And also Mary's father. And Mary's father. Yes. Got it. So the king is his uncle and father-in-law. Got it. Like I said, there's all this drama between the Catholics and the Church of England. Parliament dissolved in 1679, 1680, and 1681 because they were trying to exclude Charles II's Catholic brother and friend to France, James II, from ever reigning. So Parliament did not want Charles II's brother because Charles II didn't have any kids, right? He didn't have any legitimate heirs. Parliament was trying to push for his illegitimate son to become king. And they were like, no, that's not happening. And, but he had the daughter, Mary II. Yeah, but she couldn't become queen because she was a girl. Yeah, right. This is before they had the female. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. So, yes. So Parliament dissolved because they couldn't exclude Charles II's brother from reigning. Charles dies without a legitimate heir in 1685. He converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. Whoa. 
and James II inherits the throne with much popular support because of divine right. You know, he was the next dude in line and he gets the throne and it is the way it is. Then he becomes unpopular because he was elevating Catholicism. Parliament didn't care that James II was Catholic, but they weren't really cool with it in general. So just to back up a few years, the Test Act of 1673 stated that only people who took communion by the Church of England were eligible for public employment, which restricted the civil liberties of Catholics. And in 1678, this was extended to peers and members of the House of Commons so that Catholics were excluded from both houses of Parliament. The House of Lords delayed passage as long as possible, and they got an exemption for James II included in there. So Catholics couldn't become part of the government, except James II. So that was already, you know, putting a bad taste in people's mouths. In November of 1685, James dismissed the English Parliament for refusing to pass measures removing those restrictions on Catholics. In August of 1686, he dissolved the Scottish Parliament too. In April 1687, he announced the Declaration of Indulgence in both countries, which was an early step towards the freedom of religion. Who'd have thought this would be the good guy, right? It suspended the penal laws enforcing conformity to the Church of England. It allowed people to worship at home or in church as they saw fit. And it ended the requirement of swearing religious oaths before taking on government employment. It had lots of support from one William Penn, who was seen as the instigator, William Penn of Pennsylvania. Uh, some Anglicans were pissed that it wasn't specific about which religions were cool, opening the door to <gasps> Judaism and <gasps> Islam and oh, paganism. Oh, no. And then later that year, 1687, James II basically just half dissolved Parliament. Like, screw you guys. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. You don't want to play. You can get out. He is a contradiction. He contains multitudes. In June of 1688, James II's son and heir, James... Now we know why Love Island always has the same name contestants. James was born threatening to keep the throne Catholic and excluding James's older daughter, Mary, a Protestant. Except remember William the Orange? Here he comes again, riding into England in the glorious revolution of 1688. Backed by a number of powerful British political and religious leaders and his father-in-law slash uncle James II was deposed. They had had enough of his Catholic nonsense. So Parliament offered the throne to Mary II because she was Protestant and she took over with her husband slash cousin, William the Orange, who became William III. Don't you mean it's William of Orange? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> William the Orange? I think it's William of Orange. Okay, fine. Parliament offered the throne to Mary II, the oldest child of James II, who was a Protestant, and she took over as queen with her husband cousin, William of Orange, who became William III. Then he went off to fight the Nine Years' War and left Mary to rule alone. In 1693, William and Mary, the public university in Williamsburg, Virginia, was established. Just a fun fact. And then Mary dies in 1694. So William is ruling alone, but he's really grief-stricken and nobody likes him. So here come the Jacobites. Here come the Jacobites. Who are the Jacobites? Those are a fun new snack food. The Jacobites. No, Jacobites were the James II supporters who did not believe that he should have been overthrown. In 1696, they plotted unsuccessfully to kill William and put James II back on his throne. 
Also interesting to note that during the 1690s, they published a bunch of satirical pamphlets about William being gay. He had no heirs, he had no mistresses, and he was linked to a couple of young Dutch men who he sort of took under his wing and gave English titles to. It's not a done deal. Some people say, yeah, he probably was, and some people say he probably wasn't. You're talking about the same... William the Orange. (laughs) William of Orange. William the Third. William the Third. Yes. So by 1700, William the Third still has no direct heirs. His sister-in-law and children have all died, including his final nephew, once again threatening Protestant secession. So the Act of Settlement was established in 1701. If Anne and William both died without heirs, the crown would pass to distant cousins, the Hanovers. And while that's important, what was really important was that they ensured the longevity of Parliament. They established the constitutional monarchy and they firmly placed Parliament over the crown. Yeah, but you bring in these people who are so grateful now to be the royal family, right? You have some control over them as Parliament, I guess. Is that the theory? Well, just because James and Charles kept dissolving parliaments whenever they didn't agree with him. Right. So this said, no, 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 no. Parliament's in charge. The Royal Council of Advisors are the ones we give you. You can't just take your ball and go home. We're in charge and you just sit there and look pretty. Also, Catholics were not allowed to become part of the throne or spouses. Was it they were able to get all of that passed by virtue of bringing in the Hanovers because the Stuarts were such bastards? I'm guessing that would be why. It also strengthened the 1689 Bill of Rights, which had established the order of succession for Mary II's heirs, who did not exist. But this only extended to Britain and Ireland because Scotland did not have any say in choosing the Hanovers. And here's where that point comes in. The succession to the Crown Act of 2013, 350 years later or whatever, removed male primogeniture rules. Whoever's next is next. And oh, and it also removed the ban of Catholics or spouses of Catholics from ruling in 2013. 2013. And it it didn't come fully into effect until March of 2015. So did James then become the King of Scotland? No, he was, he was just exiled. They were, they were just gone. They were just gone. Yeah. Okay. He was just gone. So William III died in 1702. Anne became queen and the Hanovers got next in line. The Hanovers were riding shotgun. 1714, cousin Sophia dies. So she was supposed to be next. Anne dies a few months later. And so Sophia's son, George I, takes the crown. The Jacobites are still rattling around in there. The Jacobites, they're back. They're still pissed. So in 1715, they had a small rebellion against Hanoverian King George I. And there is another one in 1745. And you looked it up. Where was that one based? The attackers were based in Scotland. In, I think, both 1715 and 1745, it would have been James III, who they called the Old Pretender. Yes. And then Charles Edward Stuart, who they called the Young Pretender. I think he actually led both of those in 1715 and 1745, ostensibly on behalf of his father in 1715. And they were based, I think, in Scotland. Yeah, it was Catholics in Scotland. And they attacked south, and the first major place they hit was Newcastle. Right. So Newcastle was overwhelmingly in support of Kings George I and George II. BT Dubs, King George III, 
is our buddy from, you know, American Revolutionary times. Oh, yes. Yes. There was an anti-Hanoverian song that called the king Geordie Welps instead of George of Guelph. So Newcastle supporting King George, Geordies. That was the long story. Yes. The other story is that obviously we all know Newcastle had a huge mining industry in the 18th and 19th centuries. Geordie could have meant a generic coal worker. It was a really common name, especially for firstborn sons and working class men in the area. They used a headlamp made by George Stevenson, so it could have been from there. And there were lots of dictionaries and folk songs about Geordies from the 19th century. It's got a real working class vibe. It's not a slur. It's a positive association. If you're curious about the dialect, the Tyneside English, which is how proper people say it, was first identified by the OED in 1903. Like I said, not everybody from that area is a Geordie. There are other dialects like Mackham and Pitmatic that locals swear are significantly different. The Newcastle University Library website has lots of fun, quirky, interesting stuff about being a Geordie, including a guide to the library written in Geordie dialect. So we had some fun reading that out loud, right? And so other things that Newcastle is famous for, the beer, brown ale, Geordie Shore, a very high quality television show about eight young, promising scholars you know, doing their best to party hard. And I don't know, I I refuse to watch it. It's a show, it exists. I'm not doing that to myself. Even I have standards. And yes, there are famous Geordies and Geordies from Love Island. So obviously there's lots of people who are famous. Some of my favorite ones are Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, who was actually born in Scotland, but grew up in the area. Sting, Brian Johnson from ACDC, our buddies Ant and Deck, AKA PJ and Duncan, check the mic, wreck the mic, Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, Eric Idle from Monty Python, and Ridley Scott, the director. And then Love Islanders from Newcastle. There's some from every season. Season one, Chris Williamson, AKA Mr. Jaunty Hat and Bowtie. Season two, Sophie Graydon, who was Miss Newcastle. Season three, Alex Beatty, who I think was Montana's dude, right? Season four, Ellie called Georgia the C-word brown. And Adam, fuckboy collared. Season five, Amber Gill. And Harley looks like a goldfish brash. The blonde girl who was paired up with Chris toward the end. And in season six, the worst, Rebecca. So here's the thing. It's like, I don't want to paint any pictures of Newcastle because I'm sure there are lots of lovely people from Newcastle, but there are some really shitty Love Islanders from Newcastle. Who are you talking about? I mean, the worst, Rebecca, Ellie Brown, and Adam Collard together, like, make my head hurt. Yeah, they are pretty bad, those three. They're pretty bad. Chris Williamson was not great on the show, but redeemed himself. Check out his YouTube channel. He does a couple behind the scenes of his memories of Love Island. They're really good. You should watch those. So that's that. I kind of got distracted by the whole royal succession story. That was a very interesting deep dive and history lesson. Now it's time for a little... Culture shock. So in this episode, Shauna asks people what their favorite month is. You hear people shout July, May, and then somebody mentions when is Cheltenham? And then Shauna's asking, when is the Grand National? And she says, I remember it was when I got my boobs done was right around the Grand National. And that had us wondering what is the Grand National? What is Cheltenham? When in the year are they? And when did she get her boobs done? 
The answer is Cheltenham in mid-March, usually around St. Patrick's Day, and the Grand National in early April. Cheltenham and Grand National are both steeplechase horse races. What does that mean? I think it's not like our traditional, you know, go around in a oval horse race. There's different obstacles that they have to jump and stuff like that. Cool. I'd rather watch that. I don't know. I think I'm culturally more American. I just want to see the horses go fast. I want to see the horses go jumpity jump and duckity duck and around and around. Those races are kind of the cultural equivalent of the Kentucky Derby, I guess. Right. Belmont. And what's the third one? And the other one? The Belmont Stakes, the Kentucky Derby, and... Yeah, the Preakness, yeah. Right, like people who don't really care about horse racing still like drinking and wearing fancy hats and watching those three. Right. I have never watched any of them. I believe it's time for the... TNA Report! So I apologize in advance. I did not type my notes up, which means I am just yoinking through my notebook trying to find where I wrote things down. Well, I can get us started. Yeah, because go for it. I have a couple of fashion positives. And let's start with Luke T. I think that his pool shirt, the bright neon colors, very, very cool pool outfit for Luke T in this episode. Was that when he was sitting with Wallace and the Luke M? Yeah, yeah. So all three of them had reddish oranges trunks on, and I like that they matched. Aw. That was one of my F positives, too. Also, that night, like, Shauna's dress. I thought that looked very good on her, very classy. Oh, her hair, her makeup, that, like, beige dress. She was totally on point. Yeah. Also at night, Luke T's Hawaiian print shirt and round shades. Also, F positive. On the other side of the ledger, I thought Wallace's bowling shirt and jorts, well, that was not the outfit of the night. Let's just say that. Not money, baby. So not money. Is that the first time we've seen jorts this season? On the guys. Yeah. We've definitely already seen jorts on the girls. Yeah, well, that's different, I guess. I know. I haven't been watching for jorts on the guys. Now I'll be on the lookout. I have a couple more from uh, that night. F minus, Shawnice's poofy, long-sleeved, cream business lady dress. Too many things going on. I feel like Sophie could have pulled it off. It did look like the, you know, cougar divorcee line that Sophie is usually seen in, but it didn't work on Shawnice. I did like Rebecca's Barbie pink dress, but the braid and bangs made her ears stick out. It drew more prominence to her invisible devil horns f minus for being the worst rebecca f minus for being an asshole and that's it f minus to you rebecca f minus to the worst rebecca we really do not like her on this show i keep trying to but she doesn't give us anything to like so the rankings it's time to rank those couples let's do it all right So what do you think? Should we go bottom to top this week for changing it up? Or should we go top to bottom as per use? Um, surprise me. Well, I think we've already spoiled it because the worst Rebecca is at the bottom of the rankings. Number eight. All by herself. And then right above her, it's Jess and Mike. Yeah, they deserve each other. They do deserve each other. Yeah. Number six, it's Wallace by himself. I mean, he could be better, but he's boring. He really should get a cholesterol test. I'm worried about that egg consumption. Coming in at number five, it's Sophie and Luke M. Just because Jess and Mike are so shady, 
Yeah. Like Sophie and Luke M are probably semi-decent human beings. I feel like Luke M more so than Sophie. And here's where we get to the good people. Now, the good people coming in at number four, they're a little awkward, but they're cute. Nas and Demi. Yeah, they're so cute. Lots of energy, lots of joy, lots of cringe on both sides. Yeah, lots of food and food talk. Number three, Shawnice and Luke T. I mean, I might have ranked them higher for all the uh, double entendres they let out in the beach hut, but they just didn't earn the top spot this week. No, no, they did not. Not a knock on them. Not a knock on them. Coming in at number two, it's Paige and Finley, your favorite couple. My favorite couple? I mean, Shawnee's and Luke T are pretty close, but yes, Paige and Finn were my favorite last time. They won the game. They were vibing really well. They, they didn't were. have that much screen time otherwise, but they were really cute when they did. But this episode, no doubt, goes to Callum and Shauna coming in in the top spot. For finally stopping fucking arguing. For finally putting the whole Sophie thing to rest. For possibly advancing their fake relationship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I only let you put them first because Paige and Finn and Shawnee's and Luke T didn't have as much screen time. It's begrudgingly, as usual. Well, that about does it for us, folks. You say that every episode. Is that like part of it or is that just not part of it and you need more words? If it's part of it, that's cool. I think that it was what I said and it's become part of it. Okay. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. And if you want to hear more things, you should go to patreon.com slash little bit leave it because there is more things coming up after this thing in the form of our after show, Spoils of Love. But you got to pay money. Hey. Cheap ass. Come on. If you want more things that are free because you're a cheap ass, you can go on Twitter and you can get tweets at Ben. He's at LBLI podcast. I'm there at LBLI peng. If you message me or mention me or whatever at me, DM me. If you slide in my DMs, I'll answer you. But I don't tweet that much. I usually just, you know, poke around for fun. There's an Instagram. Again, you can contact me there. Don't expect much. Just don't expect much from her. That's the bottom line. You can email us, littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com. I run that, so I will respond. I respond. I just don't put stuff up. But if you do get in touch with us and you are intelligent and enjoy Love Island, you could be a guest on a future show. We've got a Twitter follower who's going to be featured on an upcoming episode. That's right. Yeah, we're always looking for new collaborators and guests and all of that. So if you've got half a brain, he's got a whole brain. He's a smart fella. If you've got half a brain, you'll do. Yeah, because between us, we've got a brain, most of a brain, in any case. Brain, 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 brain. So do the things, listen to the show, give us money, have a good day. From Staten Island. To Love Island. We are fleeing to Canada. 